Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. Truth be told, the feminist voice. It makes my throat scratchy. A little water. What? What? Stop it, Siri. Siri is turning on. I have no idea. All righty. We must continue. We must move on. Uh, so in Georgia, I didn't even realize this. Uh, so Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia has an opponent named Jennifer Strayan. Uh, members of Congress have thrown a fundraiser for Strayan. She's a credible candidate. She is as conservative as Green. She just has an IQ that registers on the IQ scale and is not insane. But one, two, three, four men are also running. I had no idea that four men were also – I knew there was one, like, liberal Republican, but apparently there are three other men, and uh, because of the failure to consolidate, they will allow Marjorie Taylor Greene to get reelected, more likely than not. Um, it, it's hard for Jennifer Strahan, the credible candidate, to get um, – notoriety when there are four additional people in the race besides her, all of whom have decided they're the only one who can beat Green, none of whom have gotten the traction that Strahan has. But, I mean, none of these men are going to sit down for a woman, so Marjorie Taylor Green's going to get reelected. She will vote the right way, but she'll continue to be an embarrassment uh, to all of us because every time she opens her mouth, she says something dumb. You know, the anti-Trump forces in 2024 have the same problem. The number of Republicans who have decided they want to run for president of the United States, the latest, is Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson is the moderate Republican governor of Arkansas. Now, he came in as a as a conservative, claimed to be a conservative, but Asa has moderated rapidly over the years to the point that Asa Hutchinson is a very moderate, uh, slightly left of center on social issues Republican. You've got, let's see, you got him. You've got uh, what's his name from from um, from Maryland, uh, Larry uh, Hogan. You've got Adam Kinzinger talking about it. You got maybe Liz Cheney. You got, I think, that the moderate governor of, of Massachusetts has flirted with it. You, you said there are five right there. And remember, you had 17 candidates in 2016 in the primary. Donald Trump's claim to fame actually in the Republican primary of 2016 is he got less of the vote than any other Republican nominee in history in the primary. But he still became the nominee. There were so many people in that race. Uh, and, and those people are going to have the same problem. It's, it's it's They're doing to Marjorie Taylor Greene what they did to Trump, and they'll do it to Trump again, and Trump will get the nomination if he runs. I'm still not sure he will, but you got that many people against him running, you're definitely going to get him. And, of course, the Democrats want to make it happen. I'm, I'm just – this is the thing that kind of kind of shocks me. The, the Democrats really believe that Donald Trump is an existential threat. They believe that Donald Trump is a threat to the existence of the American Republic. They believe this. 
They believe this with all their hearts, with all their minds, with all their strength. They believe Donald Trump is a threat to the existence of the republic. And so what they're doing is doing everything possible to make him come back to office by themselves presenting themselves as a threat to the American republic. I mean, the cultural issues, the transgender issue, the um, the, the the immigration issue, COVID lockdowns, masks, all of that, every issue, inflation, the economy, oil and gas production, all of them, the the Democrats are be they are essentially a threat. And the American public are looking at them thinking, you know, we may be better off with Donald Trump. We may be better off with Donald Trump. And so everything the Democrats do to try to stop Donald Trump makes it more likely that Donald Trump comes back. And there's this wish casting that goes along with it. Down in Georgia, where I am, there is an investigation going on about whether or not to criminally indict Donald Trump for what he did in the aftermath of the 2020 election. The, there's a new district attorney down there. Now, for those of you out of Georgia, I got to set the stage for you. The old district attorney was kind of corrupt. Well, kind of is an understatement. And Fannie Willis, the current DA, ran against him. She had worked in the DA's office and she had had enough. And so she ran against him. He needed to go. The man at the end of his election knew he was probably going to lose and he needed to rally black voters to him. And the black voters in particular had turned against him. So what he started doing was uh, indicting police officers, trying to make the police officers the bad guy, trying to show he was tough on crime. And it actually worked against him and he lost to her. Well, she came in, you had that conversation between President Trump and Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. It was referred to the DA's office, and hers is the only office that had jurisdiction to handle it. So she summoned a grand jury. She's convened a special grand jury to look at the evidence. And the Democrats are like, this could be it. We could get rid of Trump. Problem, of course, is that they thought the same thing in Manhattan, They dug up a case in Manhattan against Donald Trump and Donald Trump's business affairs, and it's going nowhere. When some two dozen, this is from the New York Times, when some two dozen New Yorkers filed into a Manhattan courtroom this week to finish out their grand jury service, the case against a man who would have been the world's most prominent criminal defendant was no longer before them. That man, Donald J. Trump, was facing potential criminal charges from the grand jury this year over his business practices. But in the weeks since the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg stopped presenting evidence to the jurors about Mr. Trump, new signs have emerged that the former president will not be indicted in the foreseeable future, if at all. At least three of the witnesses, once central to the case, have either not heard from the district attorney's office in months or have not been asked to testify. In recent weeks, a prosecutor of the Manhattan district attorney's office, who played a key role in the investigation, has stopped focusing on a potential case against Trump, other people with knowledge of the inquiry said. And the remaining prosecutors working on the Trump investigation have abandoned the war groom they used to prepare for their grand jury presentation earlier this year, the people said, leaving behind an expansive office suite and conference room on the 15th floor of the district attorney's office in lower Manhattan. And the grand jury is about to expire. 
You know, there were a number of, of district, assistant district attorneys who quit in New York who wrote stinging op-eds saying the man needs to be indicted. He's a threat to democracy, which uh, showed you they weren't actually being fair with the evidence. If they had to rush and do an op-ed and call out the DA for not pursuing the case, you knew they had a partisan axe to grind. You knew it. And the media, of course, has built this up. They had all the Michael Cohen stuff. They had the investigation. They had the the um, attorney general in New York. They had all of these things. And they haven't been able to get it. And I need to explain to you what's going on here. It's what I call the silver bullet phenomenon. The silver bullet in fairy tales kills the werewolf. Nothing kills the werewolf except the silver bullet. This goes back to Republicans and Obamacare. Republicans wanted to fatally undermine Obamacare. They wanted that one silver bullet that would wipe it out. It was the individual mandate. Given the, the ruling from John, well, they, they sued. They hoped the Supreme Court would get rid of it. And the Supreme Court did not. So then they thought if they get rid of the individual mandate, that'll get rid of Obamacare because of the way Roberts wrote the case, and it did not. They were trying to find the silver bullet. They tried to find the silver bullet about Barack Obama. Was it uh, what's his name? Frank Davis was his, is that was his name? Was the can't remember now the the communist mentor of Barack Obama? Maybe that would get rid of Barack Obama. It's like water or, or Whitewater Gate. Uh, Whitewater that's going to get rid of the Clintons. No, no. Okay, now it's a blue dress with stains. That's going to get rid of the Clintons. It's it's always everybody wants a silver bullet, and in politics, it's really rare. For a silver bullet to take out the politician, it's rare. Usually it's an accumulation of things. And with Bill Clinton, for example, it wasn't even that impeachment trial. It made him more popular than ever. People decided they didn't like Newt Gingrich. He came off as a hypocrite. The silver bullet doesn't work. And Democrats are now where once Republicans were. They're looking for the silver bullet to stop Donald Trump. There is one. There is one. It is rare to find a silver bullet in politics, but there is one in the case of Donald Trump. There is one silver bullet that would stop this werewolf. A really good economy. And they don't have it. So they're looking... They're looking for something else. They're hoping now that the, all of the focus will – and you watch. You watch the press coverage. You you keep your ear to the ground. You're going to start hearing a whole lot more about the grand jury in Atlanta, Georgia, in Fulton County, Georgia. You're going to hear a lot about it because the Democrats can't find another way to stop Donald Trump. They don't have a good economy. Everything Joe Biden touches turns to garbage. Joe Biden's empire of dirt. Cue up nine inch nails. Johnny Cash. He's got the better version of Hurt anyway. Everything Joe Biden touches turns to dirt, to trash, to garbage. He's wrecked the economy. He knew it was coming and he didn't do anything about it. He wrecked Afghanistan on the way out the door. He wrecked uh, the, the inflation, jobs, supply chains, you name it. Joe Biden did this. 
That's why all these people had these, these I did this stickers on gas pumps. I was filling up for gas yesterday at a Kroger, and someone had scratched off a I did this Joe Biden sticker pointing at the gas price. And the gas price was high still. And the Democrats want a silver bullet. And so their silver bullet are the grand juries hoping the grand juries will stop Donald Trump. You know, there's a lesson here. The system works. For all of the faults, for all of the problems, for all of the inefficiencies, for all of the divides, for all of the partisanship, for all the confusion, for all of all of the just everything in this country, the system has worked. The special grand juries and the regular grand juries have taken their time and viewed the evidence and they haven't bitten on a partisan witch hunt. The district attorneys elected by the people in partisan roles, they haven't proceeded down a partisan path that could wreck their office because the system works. The justice system in the United States, for all of its flaws, still works. It worked in the Ahmed Arbery situation. It has worked in the George Floyd situation. It works in the Donald Trump situation. It has not given the partisan mob what they wanted, but it worked. It protected a man presumed innocent until found guilty, and it presumed him innocent and found that there was not enough evidence to mount a a case to try to even get a conviction. The system worked. And it deprived the Democrats of their silver bullet. It deprived them of what they wanted. They're wish-casting here to try to stop Donald Trump. So many of the conversations, so much of the desire, it's all about 2024 to begin with. They're not so much interested in correcting wrongs and seeking justice for victims. They're interested in trying to stop Trump from 2024. If they want to beat Donald Trump in 2024, they don't need a silver bullet. They need to start winning elections. And thus far, they've only won that one in 2020. And it doesn't look like he's in a good position to beat anybody in 2024. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, Kelvin King, running for the Senate in Georgia, joins me in the next hour. Uh, I got to play you some audio now this is um well oof not good this is secretary mayorkas the secretary of homeland security he was on television over the weekend the dhs has directly released at least 836,000 aliens into the united states since january 21st then you add the 2207,000 unaccompanied alien children uacs and then your border patrol estimates somewhere from 200 to 400,000 gotaways in other words encounters that uh, are not evade apprehension so and, that and gotaways have been a challenge from the beginning yeah from the beginning but that that matches your numbers roughly i believe so so that's that's all without Title 42 in place. I mean, with Title 42 in with place. Title 42. When it's removed, you're going to see more numbers. Yeah. That's a lot of, lot of people. Um, that's not good. And they don't have a solution for it. That's just, it's remarkable to me. That they they don't have a solution for. You know who did? Okay, lean in, lean in, because I got to whisper. I got to whisper this one. Donald Trump. 
Yeah, had a solution. You may not like it, but he had this thing called a wall. I used to, I always used to like Herman Cain's line. Uh, he's going to build a, a hundred foot tall wall. He's going to have a hundred foot deep moat that's a hundred feet wide. And if you, it's going to be filled with alligators. And if you can scale the wall and swim the moat, we will give you a job the moment you reach dry land. Not a bad idea. Make it hard to get in. And when you get here, reward you for your ingenuity and in getting through all of that. Or, you know, just simplify the actual legal immigration process. You know, we have a massive worker shortage in this country. We could use some immigrants filling jobs. Not that Americans won't do. It's that we don't have enough Americans to do them. But incentivizing illegal immigration is something we should deter. Our border must mean something. And it doesn't to these people. And they got issues. They also got really big issues between Biden and Kamala Harris. She's had another shakeup in her office now. And listen to this from Jonathan Martin of the New York Times. Kamala Harris uh, felt disrespected. Here's one anecdote you have. Harris worried that Biden's staff looked down on her. She fixated on real and perceived snubs in ways the West Wing found tedious. When Harris walked into a room, the White House staff did not stand up the way they did for Biden. The vice president took it as a sign of disrespect. What was astonishing here is apparently there was a meeting about this. Yes, the the uh, chief of staff to uh, Kamala Harris telephoned the West Wing and told a senior advisor in the West Wing to Biden, the VP has noticed this and she, she uh, w- would like folks to stand, staff members to stand when she enters the room. This pulls back, the, I think, the, the curtain on what this White House is really like. The tensions are deep and they are real between the VP's office and the West Wing. Uh, obviously, the public image is, is, is what it is, but they, this is an ongoing challenge. And what is hovering over all of this, Chuck, yeah. is 24. So clear. Is Biden going to run again? And if not, is it going to be VP Harris? That is the mood music hanging over the entire Democratic Party right now. It is. That's the most remarkable thing. So much of this is not even about 2022. You know, I, I Biden, I listened to some of his uh, stand-up routine at the White House Correspondence Center this weekend, and he said, yeah, the, we, we may have a change, a balance of power shift in, in the next few months, and if so, I look forward for the next six years working with him, presuming um, that he's going to be able to get reelected in 2024. I don't know that he's going to run. I don't know if he's going to be live. I don't know if he's going to run again. And I don't know that he will designate Kamala Harris, the heir apparent given what's going on with the white house. I don't know. These people are dysfunctional and incompetent and that's a dangerous combination. Well, it's sounding like Marjorie Taylor green voted for Brian Kemp. Um, (laughs) That, that that seems to be the Twitter consensus. She says, uh, when when asked who she voted for, we have privacy laws. I'm keeping my vote private. Uh, if you were voting for the challenger and standing in solidarity with Donald Trump, don't you think you'd say, I voted for David Perdue. I voted for David Perdue. <laughs> oh, my. Um, the latest polling in Georgia, y'all should know, shows Kemp pulling even further ahead. Uh, th- there were three debates uh, in Georgia. And the third debate, y'all, I'm not kidding you. The first two debates, I got a stream of text messages from friends who were watching the debates. I didn't even know there was a third debate until I saw someone mention it on Twitter yesterday. Greg Bluestein, the journalist down in Atlanta, uh, mentioned it, and I saw his tweet. No one, I don't know anybody who saw it. I don't know anybody who watched it. I don't know that even the campaign teams did. Uh, Striking. Okay, we got to move on. 
We need to talk about Ukraine 10 weeks in, and I got to do something that's going to make some of you mad And I, because I know how people are these days. You can't say anything nice about anyone you dislike, uh, which I just I'm, – I'm philosophically opposed to that. If someone does something right, I think it's worth saying something. And Nancy Pelosi did something right. Nancy Pelosi surprised everyone. She showed up in Kiev and met with Zelensky and uh, defended the American relationship there. You know, I listen, I, I got a you, you are in a war zone. The, the uh, secretary general of the United Nations was in Kiev the other day with Zelensky and the Russians tried to blow him up. Missile strikes as they were outside uh, touring the city. Uh, Nancy Pelosi going there was a good thing, and she deserves credit. It is shocking to me still. The British prime minister will go. The U.N. secretary general will go. The uh, speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States, the third in line to the presidency, will go. But the president will not go. Kamala Harris will not go. They're, now, the president is going to Eastern Europe, Romania and Bulgaria. They're going to meet with refugees from Ukraine. Maybe he will show up. It seems like that would be a good opportunity, honestly. In all candor and honesty, it seems like it would be a good idea for the president to go to Kiev, just sneak in and be seen. It would give him a boost in polling. It would help him politically in this country. It would make him seem bold. Uh, there could be a rebound there. You know, the, the ABC News Washington Post poll, hang on, let me get to this so I get the numbers right. The president has rebounded in the ABC News Washington Post poll, he's now at 42% approval, up from 41% approval. And the Republican generic ballot polling, this is the most remarkable thing. I mean, Bill Crystal, um, well, Bill Crystal got, I, I'm, I'm, I can't say it. I'm sorry, I can't. Um, mm. Bill Crystal got a little aroused. Let's put it this way: he he had trouble walking. Democrats are now up one in the generic ballot, according to ABC News. Uh, they have rebounded from Republicans up three. The Real Clear Politics polling average still has the Republicans up four point two percent. Pretty striking. Um, and all the Democrats are like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's over, it's over. The, the, the GOP can't win now. We've won, we've won. Hooray, hooray. It's May 2nd. And the president's still at a 42% approval rating. And when the Democrats are up plus three, that wasn't me. If you heard a poot, that was the boom, the boom. I now won't do it again, of course, but I promise, nonetheless. I digress. If it's D plus three or lower for the Democrats, typically the Republicans do well because there tends to be a bias in polling for the Democrats on the generic ballot. This isn't me. This is history. Talk to any pollster, any Democrat or Republican or nonpartisan pollster. They'll tell you it's the same thing. Uh, the, the Democrats at D plus three or less, Republicans tend to gain some seats. In the polling average, though, Republicans are up over four points, and that's bad. Not as high as they had been. Uh, for a time, Republicans were up uh, even higher. They were up 4.7% um, at the beginning of February. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Yeah, re yeah, re yeah, yeah, yeah. Republicans were up. Yeah. Um, 
So the Democrats have problems. They, they, y'all, they got real problems, and they know they got problems. Biden going to Ukraine would actually help him in the polling. I'm just, I, I'm being serious here. It would help him. You know, Donald Trump has higher approval right now in polling averages than Joe Biden. Donald Trump has an approval rating of 43.6%. Joe Biden has a 42.7%. But in the spread, Donald Trump has a uh, is down by 7.5%. Joe Biden down by 99 Kamala Harris down 13.2%. Mitch McConnell is down 35 points. He doesn't care. Nancy Pelosi has worse approval than Kevin McCarthy. Biden has problems. He could go to Ukraine. Seen in Ukraine, he would look like a leader. He'd look like a statesman. He would look like the leader of the free world, but he's not going thus far. I hope he surprised me. Listen, I hope Biden surprises me not because I want him to do well and not because I want Democrats to rebound. I, I want Biden to surprise me and show up in Ukraine because he is the president of the United States of America. It sends a big, giant signal to the world when the leader of the free world shows up in your country while you are at war with Russia. And it would be a signal the world would not miss. It would be a signal for freedom in the world. Ukraine, however, may not need it. They tend to be doing better than expectations. There's a report out today the Russians have at least 600 tanks that they have lost. The Russians are failing to ensnare eastern Ukraine, as they thought, and their overall losses are tremendous. As of the 2nd of May, the Russian Federation has lost nearly 23,800 personnel, 1,048 tanks, 700 of which have been destroyed, the others uh, immobilized, 2,519 combat vehicles. This is according to the general staff of Ukraine. Total combat losses between the 24th of May and the 2nd of May, or I'm sorry, the 24th of February and the 2nd of May, are 23,800 military personnel, 1,048 tanks, 2,519 armored combat vehicles, 459 artillery systems, 152 multiple rocket launcher units of air defense equipment, 194 planes, 155 helicopters, 1,824 units of automotive equipment and fuel tanks, eight ships, 271 operational tactical um, unmanned aerial vehicles, 38 units of special equipment, 84 cruise missiles. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, you'll say, well, this is Ukraine. The problem here is that the United States says uh, roughly two-thirds of Ukraine's numbers are accurate, that they can confirm through satellite and aerial footage and hand counts. I mean, they're actually doing manual hand counts, and if they're two-thirds right, they may actually be on the money. That's a lot. That's a, that's a whole lot. They are... Um, they're, they're not doing well, y'all, and that's good for us. But the problem is uh, Putin is very isolated in Russia, and because he's isolated in Russia, uh, he's not getting a lot of external input, and he may be being encouraged to go the nuclear route. There's also word that he may be having some serious health concerns and have to undergo some sort of surgery. And if he does, he's putting one of his intelligence chiefs in charge, and the guy who will be in charge is the guy who convinced him to invade Ukraine to begin with. 
it's all so surreal. I mean, it really, when you think about it, it it's, it's just, it's surreal. We're, we're 10 weeks into this thing. We're watching it on television. It could be the beginnings of World War III. The Russians are, in fact, hinting that World War III is on the way. They're hinting at the use of nuclear weapons. The British believe that the Russians could very well do it. But that also there is so much economic turmoil that they may not be able to pull things off that they may further destabilize them. And I'm just, I'm fascinated watching the sharp rhetorical increase in Russia, but also the Ukrainians continuing to cause catastrophic losses to the Russians. It's just, it's fascinating to watch. Who would have thought it? I mean, when I was a kid, all of us, every single person, I don't care how old you are, the Russians were the second biggest military on the planet. They were dominant. We should not go to war with them. And here they go to war with spunky little Ukraine, and the Ukrainians are cleaning their clocks. Now, there's a javelin missile shortage. The U.S. government looks like they're about to use the Defense Procurement Act to force the Alabamians back to work. Uh, Alabama is where the javelin missile system is built, and there is now a shortage. We've given so many to Ukraine. We need a big stockpile for Taiwan just in case they need them too. So they're trying to put them back to work. It's just um, – it's, it's incredible to watch. It is incredible to watch. Now, I got to shift gears dramatically here because I got to talk about something that's not incredible to watch but deeply sad. Naomi Judd committed suicide. There's just no way to transition between Ukraine and this. But it's a story I would be negligent if I didn't mention. When I was a kid, I listened to, I mean, I grew up in Dubai, listened to a lot of classical music, actually. I didn't, I wasn't a big 80s pop kid like my sisters were. Then moved back to rural Louisiana, and all my friends listened to country music, and I listened to the Judds. Okay, when I was a, when I was little, if my sister were here, she would come run in here, hijack the microphone, and tell you the story and embarrass me. So I might as well embarrass myself. When I was like five years old, I gotta say that just just so you know, I was five people. I was five. The Mandrells had a TV show, Barbara Mandrell and her sisters. And my family watched this show. It's like a variety show. Country music singers for you youngins out there. I was in love with Barbara Mandrell. Like as a five-year-old, I was infatuated with this woman. I loved her. She's gorgeous. And then Reba McIntyre. I still have a thing for y'all. Reba McIntyre's voice. I got to stop before I embarrass myself. But I listened to the Judds. And Naomi Judd has committed suicide. She was 76 years old. She struggled with deep, deep, deep depression and mental health issues. Uh, She was being put in the Country Music Hall of Fame yesterday, and she could not wait. She did not last. She killed herself on Saturday. And I know people who fall into despair, and the thing they almost all have in common is that you don't see it coming more often than not. They put on an incredible happy face until the very end. And I'm telling you, they all tend to get a little isolated while they put on their happy face. And if you have any friends who are putting on a real happy face and they seem really isolated, you probably need to force through the bubble and 
be their friend. It's a tragic story. It's a sad one. There's just there. There's no way to really transition into this story, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, suicide continues to take people in ways the virus never did, and so be in prayer for that family, and uh, be mindful of your friends out there. Now, before we go to commercial break, I got to tell you, um, I have partnered with Gold Co. You've heard the ads. Let me tell you why. I am I am the last conservative talk radio show host in America to have a gold company that I partnered with. I always thought it was kind of hokey, frankly, because uh, the economy was booming. And as a result, gold was not. And here are these companies telling you, put your money in precious metals and you really didn't need to. But now we are back to the Carter economy. We got 40 year high inflation, interest rate hikes, increasing gas prices. If you got over $50,000 or more in your IRA, your 401k, other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. And I thought, I, I told my team, it's like, guys, this is the first time I've ever wanted to go find a precious metal company and and do business with them as an advertiser because we're in the Carter economy, which is when precious metal investing because of inflation is worth considering. And I did not want to – I didn't even know this was a thing that some precious metal companies, you're not actually buying gold, silver, and platinum. You're buying certificates that claim that you own them, but you don't have it in your possession. And I didn't want to do that, so I wanted to go with a real gold – silver precious metal company that actually sold real precious metal. So I went with Gold Company, Gold Co. And you can call them 855-904-5933 and get a free wealth protection kit. You'll learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings, and many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've helped Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They can help you. See if they're a good fit. Now, instead of trying to give you the number while you're driving, just remember this. Text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I'll send you back Gold Co.'s number. Text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to the number 33777. I'll send you Gold Coast phone number. It's a toll-free number. Call them. See if they're a good fit for you with your portfolio to protect your retirement savings. I can't really help you in that department. They might be able to. Text Eric to 33777. Welcome. I got tickets to go see Jonah and the, Judah and the Lion um, when they're in Atlanta later this year. This is Judah and the Lion music. I like it. Uh, good band. Uh, Judah has a great album, Judah XOXO. Um, it's a good one. Nonetheless, we must move on. In the third hour, I, I started thinking about how to do this. Um, so I have a couple of out of out of Georgia affiliates. Now I'm trying to grow a national audience, and so I'm trying to be mindful not to spend my full show on Georgia. But I have uh, a lot of stations in Georgia. And I've got uh, the stations in Florida and Oklahoma. I'm either aired late at night or they don't have the third hour. Uh, same with the Ohio station. North Carolina has a lot of listeners who actually are from Georgia. I know because I hear from them all the time. Uh, and uh, so I got a Springfield, Illinois station. The others are running me on the weekend so we can work around it. So I just decided instead of doing special programming for my national audience, Georgia is the center of the political storm this year. Most of my stations are in Georgia. So I should invite the Georgia Senate candidates live on the air for everyone to hear. Uh, from Herschel Walker to Latham Sadler to um, Kelvin King to um, Josh Clark, 
to Gary Black, the current agriculture commissioner in Georgia. I have invited them all. Everybody's committed thus far except Herschel Walker. We're trying to get him. And it's it's non-combative conversation. I've done this in the past with all the gubernatorial candidates in Georgia, including Stacey Abrams. And just to, who are you? Why are you running? Um, let them have an uh, – in the past, we did a live audience of their choosing, so they felt comfortable with me, particularly the Democrats, because I did not want to ask them combative, challenging questions. I wanted to do interviews where they could tell the audience in their own words who they were in a conversation. And so we're going to do that starting today uh, in the next uh, – at, at uh, five or six after the hour. Kelvin King is going to join me. He started Black Voters for Trump in Georgia. If you recall, Donald Trump made a swing through Georgia on the 2020 campaign trail, had Kelvin King and his wife on stage telling their story. He chose not to endorse Kelvin this time but to go with Herschel Walker. But Kelvin got in the race anyway, and he's got a big following. I know he's got a big following because I've had tons of people say, get him on the station, get him on your show. So we reached out and said, I want to give you an entire hour to make your case to the people of Georgia and for the national audience who might be interested in your story of who are you, why are you running, what's your story, what separates you from the field, and what are you going to do? Uh, probative but non-combative questions. All the candidates have been invited now. They'll all be joining me on the program. We will begin my conversation with the U.S. Senate candidates in Georgia when we come back. <laughs> 